Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do, whether it be a hard copy or just pull up your phone and turn to Judges, the book of Judges. We're going to start at the last verse in this book. Our main text today is going to be Judges chapter 2 and 3, but I want you to go to the end of the book first as we look today at an example of one of the judges and we look at this subject, uh, right in whose eyes, how to get out of the cycle of sin, how to get out of the cycle of sin. In just a moment, we'll look at Judges chapter 21, verse uh, 25. Some of you are like me and you grew up in church and where I grew up in South Carolina, we uh, sang a lot of uh, what is known to be the style of Southern gospel music and uh, a lot of quartet kind of stuff. And a lot of those uh, themes of those songs and a lot of the themes of the hymns that are in many of the hymnals that our churches have will be the theme of, of going to heaven and be the theme of the promised land, right? I'm bound for the promised land. I'm crossing the River Jordan. And many times those songs will, talk, will refer to crossing Jordan as, as death and then life in, in heaven. However, I'll say this, as you read through the book of Joshua, which is the book just prior to Judges, that is the time period when the Exodus has already taken place. God's people are going to the promised land. And the book of Joshua is the story of them conquering that land. And that is, in fact, when they crossed the Jordan. But for them, crossing the Jordan, if you read the book of Joshua and you read the book of Judges, was definitely heaven wouldn't be the best way to describe some of those times. Uh, they went through some very difficult times. And as I thought about that, when I look at the book of Judges and I think about them crossing over Jordan and figuring out their way in this new place, I almost thought of the illustration not so much death to physical world to eternal life in heaven, but perhaps more death to life in the sense of the new Christian life. Because sometimes here on earth, as we live our Christian life, many of y'all could testify we're not in heaven yet. Amen. We still have struggles and we still have things we have to deal with. So I think that this passage today is going to have a lot to say uh, to each and every one of us. With that said, let's look at this one verse. And I believe it's one of the saddest verses in all the Bible as the writer of Judges, after all these things take place, simply makes this statement. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar to anybody in here? Where everybody just kind of does whatever they think is right. That's sort of the mantra of, of many, many, many people today. Well, let's go back to Judges uh, chapter 2. And we're going to talk about this idea of how to get out of the cycle of sin. Uh, let me share with you a, a quick summary before we get into our main passage. And, and our, we're going to share three main ways to get out of this cycle. But let me give you a quick summary of every story in the book of Judges. When you think of the book of Judges, you think of some people, some of the characters you remember. Samson, strong guy. Remember Delilah. Uh, you, you remember Deborah, uh, the, the female judge. You remember that story. Gideon, the fleece, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. We're going to look at one today, particularly named Ehud, which you may or may not have read his story, but we're going to look at his story together. But there's several judges throughout here. Some of them get 10, 15 pages of, of Scripture. Some of them get two or three verses, but they all do exactly 
the same pattern. So here's the pattern, very simply. Number one, Israel would sin. They would, they would sin against God. The book starts, the whole book of Judges starts with Israel sinning against God very specifically. If you read chapter one, what you're going to find is that the people of God did not drive out all the people who were living in the land. God specifically said, I want you to, as you take the land over, I want you to drive them out. You know what Israel did instead? They left people in these different lands, whether it be Amalekites or whoever, or the other, you know how they got all those people who, live, who end in the ites, the such and such ites, the such and such ites. It says that they enslaved them. That's what they did. They didn't drive them out. And then that began to cause problems. And then every time it will say something like this, it'll say Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So number one, Israel sins. Number two, God would send judgment, usually through another country, attacking them. God would say, okay, you don't want to follow me. I'm going to send somebody to, 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 to take you over. But then Israel eventually would call out to God and they would repent. So what happens? Israel sins. God sends somebody to attack them. Israel comes back and repents to the Lord. And every time God would send a judge, whether it be a Samson or a Gideon or whoever, and the people would be saved. They were not kings, they were judges. And the way, it was, the way it worked, what God was really looking for was a theocracy. He was wanting his people to say, we're just going to be, we're going to follow God. You'll find out later they wanted a king and they get a king and all those kinds of things. That's the cycle of sin that we see. And in just a minute, we're going to look at Judges chapter 2. But I want to start in Judges chapter 3. And I want to walk through one particular story about a judge named Ehud. If you've never read this story, you're going to read it and you're going to go, wow, I didn't know that unique story was in the Bible. I didn't hear a lot of that growing up. When I was growing up, I don't ever remember hearing this. But it's one of those unique stories. If you ever get a chance to teach children, this is a great one to use with children. I've done it a lot over the years. Well, let's, let's look at Ehud instead of me talking about it. Let's read it. Judges 3, verse 12. Here we go. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember the pattern, Israel's sin. There it is. And the Lord strengthened, this guy's name is Eglon, the king of Moab against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So you see the pattern, right? He sends somebody. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city. And it says in verse 14 that the people of Israel had to serve Eglon for 18 years. 18 years, long time. Well, what finally happened? What did I tell you the pattern is? Verse 15, they cry out to the Lord, oh God, save us. And he raised up a judge. This one is not maybe as well known as Gideon or Samson in, as we grow up in church, but his name is Ehud. Something very specific about Ehud, it says in verse uh, 15, he's left-handed. Why is that important? Well, we'll find out later. He's a left-handed man. And the people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Let me tell you how that worked. Eglon ruled them, and the way he kept them under his thumb is he said, I won't kill you, I won't pillage your people, and, and I'll do all those things, but you've got to pay. It's forced taxation. It's taxation without representation on steroids. It's, really, it's pretty much just it's, it's mob rule, pretty much. So the regular custom was that Israel would send someone to Eglon and they'd pay the tribute. Well, this time, this guy, he's kind of like a special ops, if you really want to get down to it. This is a special operation with a very specific man. He's going to be the guy who sends the tribute. Ehud, the left-handed man. So here's what happens. 
Verse 16, Ehud, he made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, so that's about, about this long, about 18 inches, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. That's why it's important that he's a left-handed man. So if I was a lefty, it'd be easy to draw it from this side, whereas most right-handed people may have one over, over here. Now, left-handed guy, he makes a sword, and he's got it hidden under his cloak. Verse 17, And he presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. I'm not making this up. Eglon was a very fat man. That's what the Bible says. That becomes important later. Like I said, you can have a lot of fun teaching this to kids, especially young, uh, young boys. They love this story. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, so Ehud brings the money. Apparently he got through the metal detectors of the early, early B.C. century. He got through the security somehow. He's pretty slick. And it says in verse 18, he, Ehud finished presenting, he sent away the people who carried the tribute, but then he himself turn back at the idols near Gilgal, and he says, I have a secret message for you, O king. Oh, he's got a message for him, all right. You're going to see it in just a minute. And he commanded silence, so Eglon's interested to hear this message. And all his attendants went out from his presence, so Ehud sent his own people away, so he's just there with Eglon. Eglon sends all his people away, so now this armed Israelite who's on a mission from God is alone with this king. Now, verse 20, Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber, so a private room. Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat, and here's what happened. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into Egon's belly. How many of you have never heard this story out of the Bible before? Isn't this an incredible story? All right. Now, thrust it into his belly. Verse 22. The hilt also went in. I'm just going to read it and let you use your own imagination. The hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. For he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. No other time can I say all these things in church, but I'm reading it right out of God's word. That's, that's, the, that's the little boy in me, just still, ha, ha, I get to do this. Verse 23, Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him, and he locked them. Now, so Ehud has, has committed this assassination on mission from God, and, and this happens. He, remember, he's the deliverer, and, and this, he takes this guy out. Well, how's he going to get out of there? Well, it says when he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely uh, he's, he's uh, my translation says, relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. In other words, he's, he's doing what he needs to do, and I'm not going to bother him. Well, time goes by. Uh, they waited until they were embarrassed, it says in verse 25. When he still did not open the doors, they took the key, and they opened him, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. In the meantime... Ehud was, was genius. I mean, they could, they, you, could, you could write an after-action review of this thing and use it for, for, other, for other missions. He, he, I think it's very strategic. He knew, well, nobody's just going to barge in on the king in his private room, so that's going to give me time to do what? To get out of there. In the meantime, when they finally figure out what's going on, Ehud has already gone back. Look at verse 26. He escaped. He passed beyond their idols. He escaped to Syria. When he arrived... Guess what? He, by the time they figure out what's going on, he's already, it says, sounded the trumpet. 
And when he sounds the trumpet, the people of Israel went and he said, follow after me. The Lord has given your enemies, and the Moabites into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites. And they killed at that time 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able bodied men. Not a man escaped. Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land, listen to this, laid rest for 80 years. This military mission, basically one man who God used to, to, save, to save all the people and all the people were rescued. Now, of all the, book, all the stories in Judges, I shared that one with you because I had a hunch that some had never heard it before. And now it'll give you something you can share uh, with others. It's a unique story out of the Bible that doesn't usually get told. But what I want you to catch is the same pattern applies. I don't care if you go to Samson. You can go to you could go to um, Deborah. You, you, you can go to Gideon. It's the same pattern every time. In fact, they give us that pattern in Judges chapter two. And I want to read it to you as we talk about how to get out of the cycle of sin, because that that long, wild story essentially is telling us that Israel sinned. God sent somebody to deliver them from the sin. And after 18 years of hardship, in this case, they had peace for 80 years. But after 80 years, guess what? They do it again. And you're going to see that same pattern throughout the book. Well, let's look at verse uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers. That is the generation of Joshua. I'm backing up now. This is a summary statement. He says in verse 10, There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Did you know that uh, God's people are really one generation away at all times? All it takes is one generation, and that's what happened here. Not only one time, but time and time again. Verse 11, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. That is a false god. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 13, they abandoned the Lord and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. That's just another pagan god. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. This is the summary statement of what happens over and over in the book of Judges. Uh, still in verse 14, he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord warned. And the Lord swore to them and they were in terrible distress. But then verse 16 tells about the judges and he gives a summary statement. Look at it. The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the hand of those who plundered him. Verse 17, they did not listen to the judges for they went after other gods and bowed down to them. They turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Now, how do we stay out of the cycle of sin? How, how do you and I look at this pattern of what God's people were doing then? And how do we say, OK, well, how do I stay out of the cycle of sin? Number one is this. This is our outline. Number one, we have to obey completely. We obey completely. We find out, I've already mentioned this, but we find out in Judges chapter 1 that God's people did not obey completely. God said to drive the people out. They didn't do that. 
They said, we'll, we'll leave these people. It'll be okay. We'll, we'll enslave them. That'll be okay. We'll, we'll intermarry with some of them. Maybe, maybe that'll, be, that'll be okay. Details have big consequences. It's the progressive nature of sin. The last verse of this book says it all. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. One, one pastor I, I used to hear preach said it this way. He said, he said, true obedience is these three things. It's immediate. It's complete. And then he takes it one step further. It is joyful. Go clean your room. And, and the implication is I want you to do it right now. If that's the implication is cleaning the room tomorrow, is that obedience? No, unless I gave him a suspense, no later than Tuesday or whatever. That's not immediate. It's not immediate. It's not obedience. Clean your room. I clean part of the room. That's not complete. Here's where it gets tough for all of us. Clean your room. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it to completion, but I'm going to grumble and complain the whole time. God wants our hearts. God, he, he wants obedience, but he wants more than just for you and I to check the block. Not just checking the block. He wants our obedience to be in our hearts. So number one, the way to get out of the cycle of sin is to obey uh, completely. I remember uh, as I was looking at this passage, I was reminding uh, back on it. There was an illustration that I ran across. that talked about a, a, a very wealthy man who lived at the top of a very steep hill. And he was wealthy enough to have you know, drivers and things for his family. And he was very concerned that, uh, you know, how mountain hills are. You, you got to go up and kind of around the mountain. And there was a lot of steep uh, drop offs and cliffs and things. And he wanted somebody who was a really good driver and all that. So he put out job applications and he had he set up interviews. You know how we all have done job interviews. And and in the course of the interview, this this rich man, he would ask a question. He would say, if you drive my family up and down our driveway, it's like pretty long. How close can you get to the edge uh, without falling off? And one man, he said, oh, I, I'm a good driver, sir. I, could, I can get like a foot. I'll just be, my, my tire, I can get it all the way to a foot off the edge without falling off. And he said, oh, thank you. He'd ask another guy, how, how close can you get to the edge without falling off? And he said, oh, I can, I can drive six inches. I can, I mean, really close. I can get... And he said, okay. So he asked another gentleman, how, how close could you get to the edge without falling off? And he heard the answer that he wanted to hear. And you and I probably would want to hear as well. He said, sir, I don't know how close I could get without falling off. But I can tell you this, if I drive your family up and down this hill, I'm going to stay away from the edge as much as possible because I'm going to keep them safe. Well, he hired him. When we talk about this complete obedience, what, what we get ourselves in trouble with many times is we, how close can I get to the edge and still, quote, be, be obedient? Obey completely. Number two. Number two is, is, is getting to the heart of the matter. Number two is get to the heart of the matter. The problem really with Israel Although they didn't obey the instructions that he gave them, that was a big problem. But, but, but the deeper issue was that they did not worship the true God and they went after other gods. In verses 11 and 12, which, which we just read, we find out that Israel followed and actually began to worship uh, other gods. It's, it's amazing that this happens time and time again throughout 
throughout the, the book of Judges. And I want to read a couple of places to you. If you want to follow along, you can. Flip over to Judges chapter 8, and you're going to see this happens again. It's going to happen again and again. Verse 27, Judges 8, 27. This is during Gideon's time. Uh, he, he said Gideon made an ephod of it. That is, he, he, he made something for them to worship. And it says that he put it in his city in Ophrah and all of Israel went after it there and, became, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Even Gideon, who we think of as this godly man who led the battle and, and all that, in the middle of that, he decides I've got to make something very similar to the golden calf of Exodus. Go over to, go over to verse uh, 33 in that same chapter, just, just a couple of, couple of verses down. So Gideon gets it straightened out and he's back to following the Lord. But verse 33, very quickly, as soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and went after the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. As soon as Gideon died. I can't help but think that that reminds me that, that the heart of the matter is you and I have to make a choice to worship God ourselves. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've seen families where, where, that, where that patriarch or that matriarch, they pass away and everybody just sort of fades away from, from attending church and from following the Lord. You and I can't follow the Lord on the graces of, of someone else in our family. Uh, this following God and this staying out of the cycle of sin, it, it has to do with, with you and I getting to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is, is, is do I worship God? Do I love God? Uh, John Calvin said it this way. He said that our hearts are idle factories. Our hearts are idle factories. And, and we know that idols aren't necessarily figurines that we, that we make and we bow to. What is an idol? That's anything in our lives that we say, this is more important to me than following God. God tolerates no rivals. If you and I are going to get out of the cycle of sin, and more importantly, stay out of this cycle of sin, this vicious, vicious cycle, we have to get to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is we turn back to God. So we obey, and that's number one, get to the heart of the matter, number two. But then number three is this, we turn to God as the Redeemer. We turn to God as the Redeemer. As I think about the book of Judges, and as we sort of overview this book, we've, we've went over very detailed one judge, but all of them have their faults. None of them fit the perfect model of what it is that, that Israel's looking for, if you think about it. Ehud, he did some great things. Ehud was a soldier. Barak, he's another judge. We find out that he's weak-willed, he's indecisive. Gideon at times was very brutal. Gideon made an ephod for everybody to worship. He, so he's definitely not the perfect role model. He also was resistant towards God's call. Remember Gideon put the fleece out and I have to do this and he had all, these, all this fleece and the dew. Jephthah, I'm going to sacrifice the next thing that comes through that door and his daughter comes through the door. That's another one. Samson, he took his Nazarite vow very lightly as he did exactly what the Nazarite vow of cutting his hair said not to do. Uh, he also gave in to the temptations of, of Delilah. And uh, time and time again, he wasn't the best role model for us. I say that to say this. 
the point of the book of Judges is not so much look at each of these judges and let's see a great example. Uh, the main point of the book is turn back to the God of the judges. Turn to God as the Redeemer. Even after the judges, we find out that Israel still did what? What did we say at the end of the book? They did what was right in their own eyes. But God is gracious. He doesn't give us what we deserve, but he gives us mercy. You see this theme throughout the scriptures in many places. When we see God working through the lives of individuals in the Bible, what he's really getting at is he wants us to turn to him. So, for example, it's not so much you see a man like Abraham who trusts God. It's not so much, hey, go trust God like Abraham. It's more like, no, you trust the God of Abraham. It's not you look at a leader like Moses and you say, oh, wow, what a great leader. Let's learn leadership principles, although you can learn leadership principles from Moses. But the main point of Moses is follow the God who did provide the cloud by day and the fire by night. David and Goliath, you remember that story? And you remember how David killed Goliath? Well, I've heard people talk about God dealing with our giant-sized problems. And God can deal with your giant-sized problems in mine. But the bigger picture of the story, what I want you to see is that the little stories are always part of the big story. It's not just that God deals with your giant-sized problems. It's that you and I need someone to step in on our behalf, and that someone is God himself. David was a representation of that. When the disciples were in the boat and the storms came, Jesus calmed the storm. Now, can Jesus calm the storms of your life? Absolutely, he can. Amen. But the bigger picture, remember, every little story in the Bible is part of the big story. The bigger picture is in the middle of those storms, you look to Christ. Daniel, who was thrown in the lion's den... Can God take care of the lions in your life? Yes. Uh, can God take care of us if we're thrown into a fiery furnace like his friends were? Yes. Is he a good example in some ways? Yes. But the bigger picture is follow the God that Daniel prayed to three times a day. What I want you to get when you think about these stories, Ehud and this great military overthrow, every story in the Bible, and you and I think about our own cycles of sin, is remember that the way to be right with God is to always to turn back to him. The small stories in the Bible are always part of the big story of God redeeming people to himself. The good news with that is that you and I, whether we find ourselves in the cycle of sin, whether we find ourselves praying for someone who's in the cycle of sin, or we find ourselves in the middle of one of those storms, one of those lion's dens, or one of those other challenging times, guess what? Our smaller part of the story, God includes in his big story. And what he wants more than anything else is for us to be obedient to him and to turn to him and to trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray uh, that today we would get in the habit of following you and obe obeying you completely and trusting you. God, we all can identify with this image of being in a cycle and not being able to get out time and time again. 
This image also reminds us of how good you are to us in your mercy. And, and God, I pray that through your grace and mercy that we would obey you, that we would repent and that we would turn to you completely. Heavenly Father, I pray for our people here today. I pray for those who, who on their heart, it's heavy because they're praying for someone. God, I pray that they would turn to you in the midst of the struggles. I pray for those of us who are going through many challenging things this week. God, may we take your word and may we apply it to our lives and may we look to you, the one above it all, who loves us and cares for us. Bless us as we go uh, this week. And in Christ's name, amen.